You know, even though you could argue that an audio interface has not materially changed in the past 10 years, it would be a really bad thing to assume that's always going to be the case. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Focusrite Pro podcast. This is a mostly bi-monthly show where we dive into the cutting-edge technology behind professional audio products. My name is Dan Hughley, and I'm the U.S. Marketing Manager for Focusrite and Focusrite Pro. Today's show was recorded live from the AES show in New York, and I'm joined by Tim Carroll, CEO of Focusrite PLC, and Dave Hetrick, President of Atom Audio USA. We'll be discussing the history of both Focusrite and Atom Audio, what the recent acquisition of Atom Audio by the Focusrite group means to both brands, and a whole lot more. Well, welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm happy to have you both here. Uh, Dave, I met you a couple of years ago when we did uh, uh, the Scarlet Sessions as part of, I think it was your first Berry Hill Sessions it as was. well. It was, yeah. That was great. And uh, we, had a, we had a good turnout there at your first office, which you've since moved again. Uh, you made a funny joke yesterday that uh, you have a grand opening every year. Which it's our annual grand opening party. Annual. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, well, this is the first time we've gotten to sit down and talk about um, uh, the acquisition of uh, Adam by the Focusrite group. Um, so I, I just want to kind of touch on a few things. Let's start out with Tim. Let's give, give our listeners uh, a brief history of the Focusrite group as a whole and, and where, we, where we started and where we are now. Sure, yeah. So uh, Focusrite is a company that was uh, founded in the, uh, the mid-80s. It um, began as a uh, co- company making high-end consoles. Um, through the uh, kind of brainchild of, of Rupert Neve, mm-hmm. and uh, when the uh, when uh, uh, the opportunity came to buy the company, it was at a really interesting inflection point in uh, with what was going on with technology. Um, in that, um, things like digital audio workstations um, were really coming into their own, um, and uh, I think subsequent to that, um, big, really large, giant format consoles were sort of um, fading out, if you will. And, uh, and so um, the company was acquired. Um, the brand, the IP, the, the, you know, the, the analog signal chain, everything was, you know, um, had such a great placement in the industry. And I think the thought process, obviously I was not involved in the, in the company. I was still in high school then. But, um, but basically, I, I, you know, talking to Phil, I think the thought process was, is like, no, no, no matter where the technology is going, um, this is a great brand. And the, uh, what's been developed here um, in, in terms of this, the, uh, the channel, the, the, the analog path, is something that can probably stand you know, the test of time, no matter where this takes us. And true to that form, um, soon after the company was acquired was when I think the industry started really f- turning its attention towards digital audio workstations, just the idea of actually moving to the digital world in general. And, uh, and the company saw an opportunity for um, to, to take what they learned and what they had in these large format consoles and start bringing it um, en masse into things like audio interfaces, and uh, which was a great move um, because it established the Focusrite brand for audio interfaces at a very early age and something that we've been able to build upon from them. And, uh, you know, and over the time, uh, we've not only you know, continued to develop things like the, uh, you know, um, the RedNet, uh, the Pro pieces, the Scarlet generation, the Claret generation, uh, but we've also um, we acquired Novation, which was a great ad for us um, in terms of uh, really developing a portfolio and a bunch of solutions for people that are more into the electronic music side of music as well. 
you, you did touch on the audio over IP, um, which of course we're using our X2Ps here today. We're on the, the Focusrite Pro side of the booth, um, which uh, these, are these are great little modular boxes, and it's, it's come a long way, like you said. It, it definitely has, yeah. And you know, um, one of the great things that, uh, that attracted me to Focusrite was that um, it's a company, A, with the brand equity, but I think, B, the, the other thing that was really interesting was that they weren't kind of just sitting on their laurels. It wasn't like, okay, we developed this line of interfaces and uh, you know, um, we'll just keep doing that forever. Um, you know, there's a real mentality inside the company about, you know, even though you could argue that an audio interface has not materially changed in the past 10 years, it would be a really bad thing to assume that's always going to be the case. So there's always been a, a small group, and I've actually worked to develop that and, and flesh that group out that is very much sort of a skunkworks group on R&D. And when you think about it, that's how the whole RedNet thing came to be, was you know the company um, was looking at, well, what is the next thing? Um, and the idea of audio networks solves so many inherent problems that people have. And so the company kind of put a stake in the ground and said, you know, it's going to probably take four or five years for this to actually come to fruition, but we should be the one that leads the charge on this. Um, and that's paid off really well for us. And we have, and, yeah. and it's, it's definitely something to be proud of. We're, Absolutely. We're getting some of the really big projects, um, some we can't even talk about because they're so big, large right. television networks and sporting events and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's great where, where um, I've seen audio over IP come in, in my brief history in pro audio. Uh, it's come a long way from me just not really understanding what audio over IP was to where it is today. Yeah, so, absolutely. It's really great. More. So, uh, Dave, let's uh, let's ask you the same question. Can you tell us a, a brief history of Adam and and when the U.S. office came to be, as well? Sure. Uh, Adam is celebrating its 20th year this year. Founded as a, a studio monitor company, uh, often, especially in the past, was known as the kind of the ribbon tweeter company. It was unique at the time, still is. But when when the Adam monitors came to market, there was no one else doing an air motion transformer tweeter. Um, which I, I was working for KRK, a competitor at the time, and um, I, I respected them not just because of the audio quality, but because they were coming at it from a different angle. And there were certain key technologies within the ribbon tweeter that was not uh, subjective necessarily. There were objective advantages to using that, so I've always been attracted to the company. The opportunity came up five years ago to take over the U.S. operation, um, and uh, I jumped on it, and uh, luckily they jumped on me, and it was uh, something where we uh, uh, had to turn the company around, uh, set up a new business. It was um, just an awesome opportunity uh, for, for me professionally and for the brand because we moved, uh, I happened to be moving in Nashville at the time, which a lot of people think was by design. It wasn't. My wife had a job there. Um, but we uh, moved the office from Long Island, New York to Nashville. And, and the idea was there, there would be uh, just a crux of talented younger people that we could leverage to build the company. And that turned out to be absolutely true. And it's, been, it's just been amazing. So we were able to take a, a lot of brand equity, key design technologies, work with our home office in Berlin. I was able to hire every single employee and build this as the company was coming back. And it's just, you know, it, I think it all paid off with what happened in July when Focusrite uh, acquired us. It was such a great opportunity. The investors that, that bought the company five, six years ago were not from the industry. And that can be a blessing and a curse. I mean, I think we know that a lot of the quote unquote uh, business people in our 
industry, like myself, were in bands in high school and figured out how to make a living out of this side of the industry. And these guys were, no, they were pure investors. So on one side, they had the business uh, financial part just down. On the other side, uh, when we'd be in product development meetings, I'd spend the first hour and 45 minutes describing what a compressor is. You know, so with Focusrite, it, it, they brought the, you know, the huge growth, the, the, the great products, technology, and, and most importantly, the people, you know. So they have the business side down. They have the product development, marketing side down, uh, distribution network, all of that. But uh, just, just the best people in the industry. So it's been absolutely ideal. Oh, that's great. So it seems like it's been kind of a, it was, it was a win-win for both companies, it sounds like, from what you're both saying. Um, with all of that said from both of you, I'm going I'm to let you guys uh, decide who answers this, or maybe you both can, but um, what else is similar about the two companies, um, and what made this such a perfect uh, uh, marriage of companies? Yeah, I, I, I'll take that, and Dave, you want to jump in anytime. Yeah, sure. So uh, one, of the, one of the challenges I had when I came in to, to run Focusrite was um, we're a growth company. So, I mean, um, we, uh, we've got a great brand. We, um, we make great products culturally, you know, um, we are very much in this industry. Um, and, uh, but the challenge was, is how do we continue to grow the business? At, this, at the clip that we had, um, we were considered a growth stock. Um, and uh, with that comes a lot of responsibilities um, on that. And of course the balance is, is how do you stay true to your brand and, and what's important and the values you have, but make sure that you are, you know, um, giving, giving back to your, to your stockholders. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I noticed right away was is that um, we had a strong portfolio. There was a lot of room for opportunity for growth in our, in our core markets and, and where things were evolving. Um, but the company not really spent any time in, in seriously looking at acquisitions. And I thought, you know, as, as much as Focusrite and Innovation are ensconced in sort of the heart of so many people's audio workflow, whether you're doing music or podcasting or whatever, um, seems like we're really missing an opportunity to be part of a more of the holistic you know solution there and and but we we wanted to do it in, in what we thought was a smart way that kind of aligned to our our, our values and, and and what that meant was is um, when we looked at things like monitors um, could we have gone in um, and created our own we could have um, you know it was it was certainly on the table but I think the conclusion was is, well, number one, the world probably needs another set of recording studio monitors like they need a hole in the head. Um, and, and two, to be honest with you, the ones that um, are doing well um, are the guys that have been on the same journey that Focusrite has. They, they're a very group of passionate people that have spent years on a journey of building a brand up. And uh, it felt like if we're really going to be true to, to, you know, to what we, we value, that's the approach we should take. And, uh, and so that is how the sort of the, the search began. And we went from a very, yeah, if the phone rings and somebody's interested in, you know, talking to us, we'll, we'll have a thing until I actually put somebody in charge of going out and sort of shaking the tree, if you will, um, on, on, on a lot of different areas. And studio monitors were certainly one of them. Um, I, uh, I did a, a sort of a cursory look and it was interesting because there were a few that bubbled up to the top. Adam was definitely one of them. And I realized that uh, an old, um, a business associate of me, David Angris, was involved in the company, and so he and I had a, an, a, an initial conversation. And uh, 
I think we, we basically, at that point, we, we kind of set out an agenda um, with what we thought was um, a pretty high-level criteria, what we were looking for. Um, and we weren't even sure if, if we were chasing basically the Easter Bunny, to be honest with you. But the basic idea was, is let's, let's focus our attention on people who we think culturally have the same kind of values we have. They, they wake up every morning, they eat, live, and breathe what they do. They've spent a number of years developing a brand on a very specific thing. Um, and uh, and it's well respected for that, and uh, and and the last one was is people that not only are just kind of resting on their laurels, but they're also thinking about what is the future of our business? Where does this go? Are they spending considerable time thinking about what is the evolution of the technology and stuff? And uh, that that when you when you put that as a checklist, it's amazing how many things out there that may be available just fall off the apple tree really quickly. Adam was the one that actually. Um, checked all those boxes and that's what for us made it seem so appealing and uh, you know and as we got to know all the the people involved Dave Christian um, the, the whole group the product group it really validated what we what we um, our hypothesis which was these this seems to be a really good fit yeah I, it seems to be for me as well uh, any anything uh, you'd like to add no I, I I couldn't agree more I mean first of all it's it's great to hear that we checked all the boxes um, but yeah, personally, I was uh, friends with a lot of the principal people at Focusrite uh, when I was at KRK. They were uh, my UK distributor. Um, so um, good friends, uh, really good people, and I just love the company culture, um, uh, promoting from within, from not just, like Tim, you said earlier, not just relying on this interface. It's what's going to come in four years. And it's it, it's really obvious. And it's one of the things that I dislike most about our industry is when people just look at what's going to sell this month or this quarter, that kind of thing. So that's refreshing. And, um, you know, it was funny. Yesterday we had it, without going into specifics, we had a really difficult meeting. I'm <laughs> trying to solve a, 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 a difficult problem and it went on for hours and we couldn't get it. My wife texted me saying, you know, how's it going? I said, well, this is really hard. We just can't nail it down. But, oh, my God, it's so much fun. It was, wasn't it? Like, I, I, I got the, you know, that was one of my first meetings I've actually sat in. Uh, actually, the, the first one I've sat in with both of you. And, and, it, and, and for me, I, I didn't have much to add, but I was able to learn a lot and, and learn a lot about the process, which was extremely interesting to me. And I felt like I grew because of that meeting. Um, and I feel like we all are better because of that. We all had a, you know, it was a tough conversation we had to have but we all you know at the end of the day we got there and it was great it's all all good things and it's um, exciting for the future it's exciting for the future when we, when we have easy things to it, solve one question that I uh, that I just thought of um, so in July when um, this was announced um, most of us found out through the press release because we're a public company and it's not something that can be announced um, which makes me think how how long was this uh, in, in in the works? Not a just kind of, just out of curiosity. How long do these things generally take? Just being someone that is new to this type of thing. Yeah. Well, I, I've been involved in a lot of M and A activities in, in the past, and um, it's interesting because um, uh, some that were very small, under ten million dollars, took two years, and I was part of one that was one hundred and seventy-five million dollars, and it took three months. So there's, there's no real kind of mathematical equation to put on it. This particular process um, took, um, I think, from first conversation to closure, about a year and a half. Um, and, and honestly, um, it, was, it was not so much that the process takes that long, um, but uh, the, the, the previous owners of Adam um, and the current management, um, 
they really wanted to make sure that they were um, comfortable. This was a good fit, and so did we. Um, you know, uh, you know, you, you always when you see a great opportunity, you're always excited and you want to race to the uh, the finish line on this. But um, you know, we, uh, we we took a very sort of slow, methodical approach to this um, to make sure because um, for, for for me and for Focus Right or me running Focus Right, this was our first acquisition really ever. Um, and um, if you've looked at any of our company financials, you'll, you know, over and beyond the fact that we've done really well, we've been accumulating a, a large amount of cash um, over the number of years. And so one of the first questions our investors ask us is, what the hell are you going to do with all this money? You know, um, if you can't figure out a way to spend it, give it back to us. And we're like, no, we don't want to give it back to you. We actually, we do have a plan. So um, there was a lot of eyeballs on this one. So, um, you know, I, I think once the, the process really took off, it was four or five months of a lot of due diligence and hard work. But um, the, the the piece about um, you know kind of checking that box on the cultural fit is our is our assumptions on is this a group of you know of folks that have are like minded with us? Um, that's something that you know you don't have one meeting. You you have a bunch of dinners. You spend time with people. You argue a bit. Um, you debate stuff, and you uh, and you you kind of you formulate that that decision, and then you kind of hug it out at the end. Exactly. You know, um, yesterday we had a, our meeting, and um, it was the first time we had a lot of people other than the management in the same room, and it seemed like we've been in that same room many times before. The the culture that you're talking about, I think we match very very well. Uh, the energy that comes from Focusrite and the energy that comes from Adam Audio, it seems to come together and that is, that is very important we're going to be working together and um, I have to say I've reached out to uh, the marketing people at Adam Audio and they've been amazing um, we're, we're, we're providing them with interfaces they're providing us with the great headphones we're listening to right now um, which ones are these the model number I, I have SP5 SP5 let's plug the SP5s and uh, people here at AES are actually listening to us through the A5X's I always want to say AX5 do people say that a lot all the time okay A5X I've I've kind of gotten myself to say that correctly. Um, so uh, you, you guys have talked about how things have fit together really well, and and we're all excited. I'm excited about this um, this, this uh, combining of the companies, the acquisition itself. Um, I love the Atom monitors. Um, on our previous two episodes, uh, both of those uh, studios had Atom monitors. One of them was an immersive room, uh, the Henze Sound, uh, which is a fantastic sounding room. Um, uh, it's it's there in Los Angeles. It was local. We got to go to the studio and listen. Um, and those Adam monitors blew me away. And uh, you'll you'll be able to listen back to that episode uh, by the time this one is out and and hear the fantastic things Dave Henze had to say about your products. Um, and then the fantastic things he had to say about our products as well. Uh, so it was great that it was just it's not just us thinking that these companies go well together. The first two engineers that I spoke to after the acquisition also had the same thing to say. So yeah, it's. Um it's really interesting. I was uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, um, uh, about a month and a half ago, and um, I went into a local guitar center. Um, I, I like to do that. I don't ever tell people who I am. I, I do at the end, but I like to go, and, um, and one of the things I always um, look for is um, how they're positioning our products. And, you know, Focusrite, um, all of our interfaces, if you look like for like against the competition, we are a premium price product. And uh, it's always interesting to hear how a retail store actually positions that 
Um, and, and usually I'm, I'm very happy with the way they, they do that. You know, yes, this is not the cheapest off offering, but you know, boy, look at the build quality, look at what you get for your money, go look at the NPS, the trust pilot scores. You want to buy this, you, you'll be happy. And it was, it was really gratifying because I went into the, this one and I went into the speaker room and uh, they had the Atom speakers and, and, and three other competitors in there. And uh, they were all set up very nicely and stuff. And I asked the guy, um, uh, you know, what he thought of each of them. And when he got to the Atom, he said, he goes, here's the deal. He goes, I'm gonna, I guess I'm not gonna really say anymore. I'm just gonna play these for you. But when I do, you'll understand why they cost a little more. Um, and he did, and I, I, it, it was true. I, I, um, the, uh, the, the, the material and stuff, they played it through. I mean, you know, I, I don't consider myself a golden ear by any stretch, but I mean, the, the, they sound fantastic. Um, and, and I was really pleased with how that whole experience came out. Um, can you guys give us a, a little, without it revealing too much, of what the future is going to look like now that we're, we're off and running? Things have been going, we're what, three months in now? Um, we've been one, so um, a little bit of what we can expect without releasing too much information. Sure. Well, um, I think the first thing again, if, if what I said earlier was, you know, part of our criteria was is uh, a company that's well run. Um, that you know, we didn't, we don't, as fast as Focusrite has grown, we don't have time to really go and clean up a mess, if you will. Um, and so, Adam is is, is a well run company. So. Um, I think one of the one of the, the things that we're to keep in front of mind is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but with that said, I think what we've with with the, the meetings we've had, we've understand that there's a lot of opportunities on the sales and marketing side, more on the global market, um, where you know I think just where we are in terms of um, markets like APAC and some areas in in, in Europe. Um, we have a bit more mature distribution and stuff and we should leverage that. So there's some things going on there. I think what's more interesting though is um, when you think about um, you know, what happens in the future. Again, so when in our think tanks, when we think about you know, where should an audio interface go? Where do things like DSP make sense? It's really interesting because the folks at Adam have been having those same conversations. And when, you, when we kind of marry those two together and look at them, there's, there's a lot of similarities um, that we can do to solve problems um, for, for different customers. And, uh, you know, um, I think one of the, the, the key components of that is um, the software and the IP that's, um, that's built into either the interface or the speaker to solve inherent problems that whether you're a beginner or a professional you may have with things like room correction, uh, this type of stuff. Um, so there's a lot of interesting, you know, areas and things that we want to uh, to delve into there. No, I, I wanted to speak to that too because we were talking about the cultural uh, aspects and, and business aspects too. But the products already work really well together. They do. You know, uh, we've got a full-on uh, recording studio um, at our office. Um, you saw the previous office, which was a small one. Now we've got a big. They have a freaking treehouse in the back with a river. I'm, I'm coming to Nashville. Yeah, um, you are. We'll go get jam. In High Wickham, it rains sideways 90% of the time. But we, we do have a full recording studio in Berry Hill, Nashville. Um, we do have a treehouse. We are developing an, uh, an XP2 session where we just run a, a Cat 6 line. See, out to you the did tree the house. same thing, X2P. See, it's, it's like X2P? the A5Xs. Uh, I was just getting you back. It's man. the same, it's the same. <laughs> Sorry but, to interrupt. But for years, um, all of our uh, demos that go on the road are powered by 18i20s. Um, and this is this goes back three, four years uh, because you know the the dynamic range, the clarity of the of the DACs, and and just the quality of electronics, both on our input stage and our output stage, is married perfectly. Um, in our studio, the eight pre, um, the red 
8.3 is uh, it absolutely a brilliant interface, and it's at the center of everything that we do. I, it, it, it blows me away. It's like I find something new that I can use on it every single session, and I'm not even kidding. Um, so, yeah, sorry. Uh, we, we already work really, really well together, and we're already huge fans of the brand on a product level. You know, I should have mentioned, when I when I did come for the first Berry Hill sessions, at the, the, the first grand opening in, in Berry Hill, um, the first thing I noticed was I did see a lot of red. Um, here, I brought a lot of equipment with me, but need... I, I didn't realize that I didn't need to bring that equipment because you already had so much focus right in your facility. And you know what's funny is a lot of it was mine, personally. Yeah. I mean, I've been a, brand, a fan of the brand. I was recording engineer in, in L.A. in the 90s. I had a Red 1 and a Red 3. And when we moved into this new studio, they had a focus right Red 1, 2, and 3. And I negotiated with the landlord. I was like, can these stay... Yeah, and it's awesome. And we just did a session with them, and it just brought me right back to 1997. It was awesome. Well, guys, uh, that's about all I have. Is there anything else you guys would like to close with? Anything, uh, any other thoughts? Anything I missed that you'd like to talk about? I, I would just say with Adam coming on board to the group, um, it's early days, obviously, but I think all the aspirations, all the things that we were hoping are, are in terms of our assumptions, they're proving out. Um, they're a great group of guys to work with. Um, and, uh, you know, we look forward to not only just on the... Uh, uh, on the product development side, but just, um, you know, kind of furthering the cause about, you know, bringing more great audio solutions to, you know, the general population. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, I hope you have a great, uh, productive AES, and uh, I'll be talking to you both soon. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Right, thanks, thanks, guys. Joining us for this episode of the Focus Right Pro podcast. This mostly bi monthly podcast is produced and hosted by me, Dan Hughley, for Focus Right. Music is by Merlin. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at Focus Right Pro. For more information, please visit our website at www.pro.focusright.com. They have a freaking treehouse in the back with a river. I'm so jealous. <laughs>